Um, let's turn to Matthew chapter seven. We're going to end our series that we've been in for several weeks. Matthew chapter seven, we find ourselves in verses 24 to 29. If you are new with us, if you are a guest or you've been visiting for a while and don't have a Bible, you can turn to page 812 in the Pewback Bible in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you surely can take that Bible. That is our gift to you um, here, at the, here at the chapel. We study God's word. Um, we read God's word and then we also live out God's word. Find ourselves at the very end of Jesus' sermon. Verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain, rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 24, 26, excuse me. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. When I read that, I kind of chuckled because I like the little jab that Matthew gives and actually the crowd gives against the religious leaders who Jesus had been comparing to the whole time. So this is Jesus' last words, Right? Think about your favorite sermon, your favorite preacher. What are the top 20 sermons or pastors you listen to and you remember their sermon and you, in your mind, you've categorized them and you said, these are the best sermons I've ever listened to. Those pale in comparison to the greatest sermon that ever, that's ever been preached by our Lord and Savior. And what are some of the things that we notice in this section? Well, well, we notice a couple of things. One, Jesus starts off his sermon talking about where character is rooted. And he says, he says, if you want to be blessed, this is the type of person who's blessed. Someone who's poor in spirit. Someone who's righteous. Someone who endures persecution, right? And then he ends his sermon with a warning. He ends his sermon cautioning his disciples to pay attention, to listen, and to obey. So the point of this passage, the point of this section, and the point of the sermon is this. Jesus is calling his disciples. He is commanding his disciples to faithfully obey. What Jesus is saying in this passage is the evidence of a true disciple, the evidence 
of a real citizen of God's kingdom is someone who not only listens to his words, but faithfully obeys his commands. That is the true identity of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and a citizen of his kingdom. So if, if you're wondering today, right, like, how do I know who's a Christian in this room? Because there are many people in this room, I'm sorry to tell you, who hear my words, who faithfully come every Sunday, but many of them are not followers of Jesus. They intellectually know who he is. They, they with their words, confess who he is, but in their hearts have no desire or inclination to pursue and follow him. Why? Because they have not obeyed him. They have not obeyed his commandments. And Jesus saying in this passage, a true disciple, a real citizen of his kingdom is a person who obeys my commands. What you hear, you will do. And that's how you know who the Christians are. I love what Bonhoeffer says. If you ever get a chance to, to read the cost of, of, excuse me, the cost of discipleship, Bonhoeffer was not only um, a theologian, he was a pastor, and he was also a spy during World War II. And he writes this book, called The Cost of Discipleship, and it's, he spends a significant amount of time going through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and his observation is, is that a true disciple is the one who obeys Jesus Christ. But there's an implication of that obedience. And this is what he says about that implication of obedience. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus, it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. What is Bonhoeffer trying to say? What Bonhoeffer is saying is that when Christ calls an unbeliever to put their faith and trust in him, to submit to his lordship and kingship. They are going to die to themselves. They are going to die to their agenda. They're going to die to the way they think, what they feel, what they desire, and they're going to faithfully obey Jesus Christ. And we've seen this this morning in a couple who faithfully obeyed the commands of Jesus Christ to go and be missionaries overseas for decades upon decades. And I'd imagine if we talked to the Brubakers, they would tell you terrible stories of how life was difficult and hard, but they've stayed committed, they stayed on the course, they stayed faithful, they stayed obedient. And we see the witness of the Morrises, 
of hearing the call of not just of salvation, but a faithful commitment to do what God's called them to do. And they have decided to faithfully obey God's command to go. And I imagine that that would be, there's much trials and tribulations they're going to face. There's much anxiety and fear in their lives right now because they're going to leave this place, their comfort, their world, their family, to go do what God has called them to do, to raise children up in another country for the sake of the kingdom. Why? Because they have faithfully obeyed his command. That is the crux of the Christian life. It's to obey Jesus, to obey his word. When Jesus called the first disciples and he tells them, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men, what did he want them to do? Like, think about it. Like, what did he truly want them to do? He wanted them to obey, to come follow him. They had no idea who he was before. They didn't know his character, the type of leader he would be. He just said, come, follow me. And what did they do? They obeyed. Think of Matthew, who was a tax collector called Levi, collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government, rejected by his own people because he was a tax collector. And who, does call, who calls him? Jesus. And what does he do? How does he respond? He responds with faithful obedience. You look out through, you look through the entire New Testament, God is commanding his church, his people, the people who call after him to obey him, not to obey your agenda, not to obey your theology, not to obey your idea, not your preferences of worship and liturgy. God is calling you to faithfully obey his word, follow his command and pursue him when it's difficult and hard, because the hardest thing that you and I are going to face is to obey Jesus Christ, particularly in the world that we live in. Look at the world that we live in. The world that we're living in says that a man can be pregnant. You laugh, but they say he can. We live in a world where women think that they're men. We spend a whole month in our culture celebrating Pride? We live in a culture that says the mass genocide of onboard children is a good and right thing to do. We celebrate in our culture materialism and wealth. The things that are wrong are not right. The things that are right are not wrong. That is the culture that we live in. Are you going to obey the words of Jesus Christ? And I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I'm here to call people, remember God's words and obey them because guess what? It's going to get hard to obey Jesus because our world says we don't want to obey Jesus. We want to obey our, our ideas, our agenda. We want to pursue our own ideology and theology of what life looks like. And Jesus is showing us in this passage that we need to obey because storms are coming. Difficult times are coming. And if we have not built our house, if we have not dug deep foundations in trusting, believing, studying, working out God's word in our own lives, we are going to succumb to the movement and the spirit of this world. And let me tell you something, the world is damned to hell and you don't want to go to hell. 
And if you pursue your own selfish passions, if you pursue your own ideology, and if you want to believe what the world believes, I'm telling you, you're going to find yourself in the place where the world's going to be when the Lord returns. And there's no turning back. So pursue him now and follow him. Pursue him and follow him. And if you are struggling, trust me, it is not easy to obey Jesus because why? We're sinful. We don't want to obey. I'll give you an example. I was on the plane going to the Yucatan. And you know, the announcement comes on, put on your seatbelts, put your trays up, and put your phone on airplane mode. What does Tim O'Rourke want to do? Not put on his seatbelt, not put up my tray because I have my iPad up, and I don't, I, no, I don't want to listen. I'm not putting my phone on airplane mode because I don't believe you that it affects the plane. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me. My Bluetooth little thing is not going to mess up whatever. <laughs> we don't want to obey. The reason why we don't want to obey is because we are sinful. We don't want to obey because we have decided that our agenda, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act is good and best. And not only that, we want everybody to be believe the same thing, do the same thing, and think the way we think. And this is what we have. We have division in the church. We have division in the world. Why? Because everybody has their own agenda. Everybody thinks they're right. And no one wants to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. No one wants to pursue Jesus Christ. And everyone has built an idea of who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ says, and what he believes. And they want everybody to believe it. And Jesus is saying what? I want you to obey me. Not the idea of me. Not the persona that you have created. Not that idol that you've created for yourself and then you've blanketed it with, oh, it's Jesus. Jesus wants you to faithfully obey him, his word, his inerrant word. Not to obey yourself. You are sinful. You can't obey God's word apart from the spirit of God. So Jesus is telling his disciples, obey, follow, listen. Do what he does. Be who he is. And the amazing part is, you're thinking, oh, that's too hard. No, it's not. It's not hard. When the spirit of God in you is the one leading you, guiding you, working those things out in you. Listen, God does not expect for us to have instant obedience. We're sinful. He doesn't expect that. He knows that we're not going to be instant obedient. That's the whole point of sanctification. But God requires obedience. So we obey. He is long-suffering and patient towards us when we obey. But we have to be willing to obey. It's interesting that he uses an illustration of what it looks like to faithfully obey his commands, his entire sermon. It, he shows us what does faithful, faithful obedience looks like. So what's the illustration that he uses? Look at verse 24. Verse 24 and 26 are the illustration of what it looks like to faithfully obey Jesus. And then he contrasts that with someone who doesn't faithfully obey. 
So, so let's look at the comparisons of the illustration, right? Because Jesus draws our attention to a parable. A parable is a story that has a spiritual meaning for you and me so that we can understand his teaching. So the illustration is a house builder who builds a house and he calls them wise. So I want us to draw our attention to something interesting in verse 24 and 26. Look at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them would be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Jump to 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So what do we see in the illustration? The first thing that we see in the illustration is that they were both hearers of Jesus' words. The two people he's comparing to are two people who are hearers of the sermon, hearers of the word. John Stott says, for Jesus is not contrasting professing Christians and non-Christians who have no profession. On the contrary, what is common to both spiritual house builders are that they, hear, they are both hearers of the word. So both are members of the visible church community. Both read the Bible, go to church, listen to sermons, and buy Christian literature. The reason you often can't tell the difference between them is that the deeper foundations of their lives are hidden from you, from view. The real question is not whether they hear Christ's teaching, but whether they do what they hear, and only a storm will reveal the truth. So Jesus is not comparing a believer and a non-believer, because who's Jesus talking to? His disciples. He is comparing two people who both hear God's word. One obeys and the other one does not obey. The second thing I want us to notice in this illustration is that both men want to build a house. So, so these two houses are identical. The question we have is what is the house? If you read the Old Testament, House referred to tribes and families, right? In the New Testament, sometimes you hear it was referred to house or tribes. Jesus is in the house of David or Judah, right? Paul refers to the church as a house, right? He says the household of God in 1 Timothy. So, so what is Jesus referring to as a house? Here, here's what I think Jesus is referring to. He's, he's simply referring to life. What is life? Life is every decision you make, every thought that you have, every action you take that informs the person that you are, right? The life you built or the life you built for your family, right, are, is contingent on choices that you make. What you think, how you behave, influences the type of person you become. My father used to, there's a saying in Spanish, I'd imagine it's the same thing in English. My father used to tell me um, in Spanish, I, I won't say it in Spanish. Um, he used to tell me, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. 
idea of, right, the decisions you make in life dictate the life you lead and the influences that you have in your life help shape the type of person you are. So when Jesus is saying building your, your life, he's referring to what are the things that you do that help shape the type of person you are, help shape the type of family that you have, help shape the type of children that you have. What are you doing to influence yourself and them? And Jesus is saying, that's the house that you're building. The third thing, the third thing that we see in this illustration that both men share is that both of them face the same storm. What is a storm? A storm are life's difficulties, obstacles, hurt, pain, frustrations, grief. Every one of us is going to face a storm or has faced a storm and will face a storm. It's this idea in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, right? That the, the sun shines and rains on the just and the unjust. Meaning every single person is going to experience good things and bad things. You and I, faithful, obedient Christians, are going to face hard and difficult trials in our lives. Why? Because of sin. Sin has influenced our world so deeply that we face hurt, pain, obstacles, and trials. You know, it's sad, but there's, a sad, there's an idea in the church, not this church, but the overall church, that somehow, some way, when you come to faith in Jesus, all your life's troubles and problems just disappear. That when you come to Jesus, when you lay down your own agenda, somehow it's rainbows and butterflies. And guess what happens? Many people go sour on their Christian faith. Many people have church hurt. Many people have a lot of animosity towards the gospel, their faith, and the church. Why? Because they've been told that God saves you from troubles and problems, and that's not true. God does not rescue us out of those problems. He allows us to experience life storms so that it would refine us, sanctify us, and it would allow us to give testimony to an unbelieving world that God God exists and that God is able to help us through those trials. And we told our young people that it is okay to be anxious and fearful because you're not allowed to face life's troubles. God, God help us. We've been keeping young people away from hard things and difficulties. And then as they get older, they can't navigate life. Because we haven't taught them, hey, build a firm foundation in Jesus Christ so that when bad things happen to you, you can excel. You can experience the goodness and grace of God by leading you out of those problems and trials. But no, we've told our children, no, you can't feel anything that's bad. You're, You're not allowed to feel any adversity or problems or trials. You're setting them up for failure. Someone like that. Now the contrast that we see in, these, in this illustration. 
a builder, a house, a storm, but there's a difference. The difference is that Jesus characterizes these two men differently. How does he characterize the first person? He characterizes the first person by calling him a wise man. Who is this wise man? This is the wise man. The wise man that Jesus is referring to is the true disciple, is the real citizen of the kingdom who not only hears God's word, but faithfully obeys them. The fool, right? Who's the fool? This is the fool. The fool is the person who intentionally neglects his or her obligation to obey. It's not an ignorance. It's I hear God's word. I know God's word, but I choose to neglect it because I don't believe what God has for me is the best thing. And I don't want the hard thing to be the good thing for me. So I choose the easy thing and that's to disobey. That is the fool. The fool who thinks he is wiser than God. The fool who thinks that God's word is not sufficient for him. The fool is who thinks that his ideology and their way of thinking is better than the Bible. Better than God's word. And that is the fool. God in his grace and mercy gives us wisdom. Right? Like the wise man is not left to his own devices to figure out what wisdom is. He's given him his word. Jesus is giving him wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is about God giving us insight and wisdom to live the Christian life that is according to his will, according to his promises, and a faithful obedience in his word. Listen to what, uh, what Proverbs chapter 2, 6 to 15 says. Proverbs 2 to 6, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Well, how is that, how is that fulfilled? In Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, who's giving them wisdom on how to be a true citizen, how their character is rooted in him. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Who is the upright? The true disciple, the true follower of Jesus, the true citizen of the kingdom. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Who has integrity? The true disciple. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints, who are his saints. The people who have put their faith in Jesus, who follow him and obey him. Verse 9 in Proverbs 2 says, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will, will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. What does wisdom do? Delivers you from the path of evil. Who can be delivered from the path of evil? The people who have put their faith in Jesus, the people who faithfully obey Jesus. The people who, verse 13 in Proverbs 2 says, who forsake the path of the, up, of the unrighteous to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil. These are the people who are wise, who stay clear, who stay away from the path of darkness. Do you want to be a wise person this morning? 
right? No one wants to be a fool or made a fool, but you would make yourself a fool if you continue down the path of disobedience. So the wise man that Jesus is characterizing in this passage is the man who faithfully obeys his word. But also, look at the illustration. Verse 24 again. Who does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The wise man is not only someone who faithfully obeys Jesus' words and commands, is also a person who builds his life, her life, to withstand against the storms that will come. So, so what's the foundation that we're building, right? Well, we already know the, the firm foundation that we've been we're singing about is Jesus Christ. But it's also his word. It's the scriptures. So the wise man is the person who digs deep, who's not satisfied with the superficial foundation. He wants to dig deep. And he builds a foundation that's founded on the person of Jesus Christ and on the words of Jesus Christ. Why? Why does he build a foundation on Jesus? Why does he build a foundation on a firm foundation that's based on his word? Why would he do that? He does it because he knows that storms, life's problems are going to come. And he wants to be ready that his life can withstand the obstacles, the trials, and the problems that we're going to face. A modern illustration, I am not a house builder. I am not that smart. To be honest with you, I don't know what a foundation looks like. But here's an illustration for, for people like me to understand. It's a young person or a person who knows one day they're going to grow old or one day they're going to grow weak. So what does that wise person do? They work hard when they can to make an honest earnings and save their money. A person who lives below their means, not above their means, who saves money every time they get paid, who puts money away because they know that one day they're not going to be able to work, either because they're too old to work or because they've grown sick and weary and they cannot work. And a wise person says, that day will come. So I'm going to save up a little money here every time. I'm going to live below my means so that I know when that day comes, I'm going to be ready. That is the equivalent of a wise builder. The spiritual message is the person who builds their foundation and trust on Jesus Christ, who faithfully obeys his commands, who lives out Jesus' words, not someone who just professes Jesus, who knows and not a knowledge, is not the person who just goes to the ABF or goes to the home group or is part of the life group. That's not the person Jesus is talking about. The person he's talking about is those people who do all those things but faithfully obeys the commands that faithfully looks like him and does what he does, whatever it costs them to do, they go do it and they do it every single day. It's the hardest thing to do, but they do it. Why? Because they know one day it's going to be hard. One day they know 
The grief is coming. The pain, the hurt is coming. And when that day comes, I want to be able to withstand against the attacks of the enemy, the attacks of my sin, and rejoice in the storm knowing that I have built my life to look like Jesus, to obey Jesus. And when tough times come, I'm going to be able to get through it. Not by my power, not by my strength, but by the Spirit of God. That's what Jesus is teaching us. And I keep saying this over and over again to implore you that the Christian living, the Christian life is not an intellectual exercise. Do not be content that you know a lot about your Bible. Do not be content that you seem to know a lot of doctrine. Be content in knowing that you have a personal relationship with Jesus that obeys him, that follows him, and that looks like him. It's not going to help you to know the Bible verses is going to help you when you have faithfully over time lived your life out for Jesus in obedience. Build, dig deep, attend the small groups, the life groups, the ABF, the home groups, but also at the same time, obey. What does it say? What is it calling me to do? And then go do it. You can grind your teeth. Trust me, I do it all the time. It's hard. I don't want to obey. Trust me, I don't want to love my enemies. I have no desire to love them. I don't want to love people who, who are against me. Why would I do that? Because he says so. You know why? Because he loved his enemies. And you know who his enemies are? You and me in this room. The people who put him on the cross. If it's good enough for him, has to be good enough for me. So that's why we obey. What we also see is a fool, a fool who doesn't obey. I, I would encourage you to read the book of Proverbs. I love Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9 personifies wisdom as a woman. And it's a call, right? And in Proverbs it says, are you going to listen to the call of wisdom or are you going to listen to the folly of the world? And in Proverbs chapter 9, we're reminded, right, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And in that section, the author is pointing to, hey, are you going to listen to the folly and the seduction of false and untrue words of the world and the culture? Or are you going to hear the call of wisdom that says, pursue holiness, be content and joyful in sanctification, or are you going to succumb to the voice of the folly that says, life should be easy. Pursue your own passions. Pursue your own desires. The fool is the one who hears wisdom and does not follow it. And hears the seduction of culture, moral relativism, and ideology and ethics and says, that is the better thing. I implore you, do not be the fool. So what are the benefits of obedience? They're benefits. The first, not only found throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but it's also found in Proverbs chapter one, verse 20 to 33. This is the benefit of obedience. The benefit when you and I faithfully obey God's command in his word to look like him and be him. This 
is the benefit. Security and ease. That's what Proverbs 1 says. When you listen to wisdom, when you follow Jesus' command, you will find security and ease. When will you find security and ease? When do you need it? When do you need security? When do you need ease? When life's problems are too hard. When obstacles come your way, difficulties come your way, that's when security and ease are a benefit to you because you have obeyed. When the culture begins to beat down against the life that you lived, when it becomes harder for you to be a Christian in your workplace, when the world becomes antagonistic to your faith, you'll find security and ease. When you're feeling the weight of your sin, when you're feeling the weight of the sin of the world in your workplace and even in your home, when you're feeling the strongest battle against the enemy and temptation, you can find security and ease because you have obeyed God's commands. Also, the benefit are blessings, not the material stuff, the wealth and, and health, prosperity, nonsense that we often hear on TV. You know, one day those pastors and preachers are going to have to give an account to their life. You know that, right? Like, one day they're going to have to explain how they manipulated so many people. And I hope before that day comes that they will find a revelation from the Lord that comes from his word and repent and, and, and be done with it. Even if it costs them the half a million dollars or the billions of dollars they've collected over the years and they end up in jail. But it's better to be in jail than it is to be in hell. Amen. But they're going to have to give an account. Anyway, that's a side note. I tell you, when I go away and I come back, I'm ready to go. I am fired up. Here, here, here are a couple of the blessings that I've observed, not only in this passage, but also throughout Scripture. The, there's, a, there's two that I want to point out. The first blessing is that we see in James chapter 1. James says, hey, you ought to obey the commands of Jesus and faithfully obey them, right? And one of the blessings that we have is that we do not become deceived by our own sin when we obey. That's beautiful, right? Because when you obey Jesus Christ, when you live a life that looks like him, that behaves like him, that thinks like him, you do not become deceived by the own sins and temptations that you struggle with. That's a good thing because that's discernment. You get to understand and see how it really looks like. The, the second blessing that we see, we see it in John chapter 15. What does Jesus say? The benefit of obeying his commands is so that we have what? Joy. Joy when? When life gets hard. Yes, you can have joy when life gets hard because it's not happiness. Happiness is temporary, but joy is, is long-standing because it's an acknowledgement that, that feeds your heart that says, my life is built on Jesus Christ and whatever I face, I will get through it because he's given me his spirit. So why should we obey? It's not because of the blessings. It's not only because we're going to get security and ease. Here, here's a simple reason why you should obey Jesus' commands. Why you should obey God's word. Why you should follow God's word. It's very simple. It's because you love him. That's what John 14, 21 says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You wanna know who a true disciple is? It's someone who obeys Jesus, not because of what they get from him, but because they love him. Sometimes your children, I've obeyed my parents because I love them, not because I thought what they said was right. And sometimes we can feel that with God, right? That what he's doing, what he says is not right. And it's not because he's wrong. It's because our sinful paradigm doesn't help us see the clarity of, of God and what he's doing. But we obey, faithfully obeying his commands and who he is because we love him. We care for him. We want to honor him and respect him as Lord and Savior of our life. So what we do is obey. The question this morning that I leave you is, are you the wise or foolish man in this story? If you are the foolish man who's been following after your own agenda, your, your own way of thinking, your diagnostic of what things should look like and what they should do, and, and you haven't built a firm foundation on Jesus, you, you, kind of, you kind of done it, not all of it, you dove some of it, but not all of it, the, the benefit of this morning is that you can repent and say, Lord, help me. Or are you the wise person who's over many years, many days, many weeks, faithfully pursued Jesus through his word, through his commands, so that when life's troubles get hard, you can withstand. I'll leave you with this last thought. Um, in verse 28, 29, I read somewhere um, a commentator um, on these last two verses, and the person says there are three groups in this, in this last section. I'll read it for us really quickly. Verse 28 says, when Jesus finished these sayings and the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. There, there are multiple groups in this crowd. If you remember back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, who is present? Well, we know that the disciples are present, right? We know that there are crowds, people who are listening and they're deciding that they want to be part of what Jesus is saying. And then there are the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, the religious leaders who Jesus is comparing to, who's saying, hey, don't be like those people. And the reason why we know that is too because we also see how they react to Jesus in subsequent chapters. Now, who do you think are the wise men who have built their, their life on a solid foundation among the crowds? Right? The, the first group of people are, is the crowd. And, and, the, and Matthew says the crowd walked away astonished. Now, you might think that's a good thing, and it, it is. But you know what the Bible doesn't say? It doesn't say that anybody in the crowd who walked away astonished became a disciple or followed Jesus. Maybe they did. We don't know. The only thing that Matthew says, they walked away astonished. But Jesus is talking about obedience. So they were impressed with what Jesus said, but Matthew doesn't say they walked away obeying. The second group are the Pharisees and the scribes. We know how they walk away because in, in chapters later on, they're antagonistic and they want to kill Jesus. So how do you think they walked away from the sermon? They walked away probably angry and upset that Jesus was calling them out and saying, hey, what you're doing is not the way. 
Then there's the third group. It's the disciples. The men who Jesus is going to shape and mold to be the men who faithfully obey God's word even unto death. We also see in the Gospels and in the New Testament that the disciples end up being those wise men who put their life on the line so the gospel could be known throughout the world. Do you want to be the wise man who builds a firm foundation like the disciples? Faithfully listen and obey. God knows we're sinful. God knows we're going to make mistakes. There's grace and mercy for us. But are you going to be the wise person? And notice at the end, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, there was no altar call. Did you notice that? Jesus, the greatest sermon that was ever preached, and there was no altar call. Billy Graham does a a great sermon and there's an altar call. In Jesus' sermon, there's no altar call. There's no sinner's prayer. He doesn't say, hey, repeat after me and ask me into your heart. What, What does he do? He lets them go. To do what? To obey. Are you going to be the wise man? who faithfully obeys when life storms come. Let's pray. Why don't you take a moment and ask the Lord to reveal in your heart and your mind the areas in, in, in your heart and mind where you haven't faithfully obeyed his commands. And ask the Lord to help you, to, li- to guide you, to lead you to be like the disciples who will one day give up their lives for the gospel because they have placed their trust and faith and obedience in Jesus. And as you keep your eyes closed, I want to leave you with these words to end off the quote that I started with this sermon by Bonhoeffer. This is how he ends that section that I read to you at the beginning. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave their home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world In fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. But we do not want to die and therefore Jesus Christ and his call are necessarily our death as well as our life. The call to discipleship in the the baptism of Jesus Christ means both death and life. The call of Christ His baptism set the Christian in the middle of the daily arena against sin and the devil. Every day he encounters new temptations and every day he must suffer anew for Jesus Christ's sake. The wounds and the scars he receives in the fray 
are living tokens of his participation in the cross of his Lord. Ask the Lord in this morning that you would faithfully obey him, dying to your sin, your agenda, the way you think, what you believe, to be like him, to look like him, to talk like him. Lord, would you help us? Help us to see you in light of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Kenmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.